Hello everybody, this is Curtis from Tremble letting you know that we are brought to you by Shudder. Shudder is the horror movie streaming service that brings you all the latest and greatest that horror has to offer. But you don't have to take my word for it. You can use TremblePod, that's T-R-E-M-B-L-E-P-O-D, when you sign up for an account. This will give you a free 30-day trial on us, so you can check it out for yourself. With that said, let's get on with this week's episode. Welcome back to Tremble, the horror movie podcast. I'm your host, Chris. With me, as always, is Stephen Taylor. How are you two doing? Pretty good. Tired. I'm tired. <laughs> Let's just say I'm tired. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I dedicated this weekend to being like a weekend of rest, weekend of recuperating. And uh, yeah, sometimes you gotta do that though. Sometimes you gotta like just tune the world out and just focus on yourself. So. I'm just I, I'm just annoyed as a reviewer that everything that I have to watch this weekend is over two hours, and a lot of it was garbage. Well, I I I've only done like as I, there's one that I can't even talk about because uh, we just did talk about it. Oh yeah. Um, but off schedule, we're not even allowed to say that we've seen it or where we've gotten it. Everything till I think like the 14th or something like that. Yeah. So it's like it's like ah oh, come on, and then um. One of them is, I know that you've already watched it, it's an Apple TV Plus original that's two hours and 20 minutes. Mm. And then um, they also sent, and, and they've kind of canceled the the screening of it coming out, so they have to reschedule. But my screener is, expires on, on, on the 9th, so I have to watch it. Uh, it's uh, Paulo Sorrentino's new movie, uh, Loro, oh, yeah. which is about Silvio Berlusconi. Um, and I love Sorrentino's stuff, like, so much. Like, if you haven't seen fucking Youth or uh, uh, Il Devo or, like, a bunch of his work, like, he's incredible. Or the HBO show he did, uh, The Young Pope. Fucking, like, amazing shit. Like, he's such a fucking brilliant writer and filmmaker. And his, his cinematography is always just off-the-wall crazy. Um, but, yeah, this movie, Loro, is two and a half hours long. And I'm like, where are all the short movies at? Yeah. I like, was I was like was I like screwed over by that whole like thing? But a good thing is the movie we're talking about today is a cool hour and seventeen eighteen. Yeah, it's very short. Uh, we're talking about Hush, and um, yeah, uh, I I think I said, said this before we were recording, but like this week are two movies that people love. That uh, I may piss people off on because I I'm not as hot on these movies as other people, but uh, we'll we'll see if the pitchforks come out for me. T- uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, no. Speaking about your point of the two-hour-long movies and just how it's like completely not necessary. Like, I watched a ton of movies this week that were like way too long. Like, I think the. The one that I watched was the most egregious was Coming to America, which <laughs> already felt a little long, but then they just sprinkled Leslie Jones and Tracy Morgan throughout that, and it just became exhausting after a while to be like, I don't need this much Leslie Jones and Tracy Morgan in my life. Tracy Morgan, they pulled in off the street, because I swear he was wearing his own wardrobe, he was doing his own thing. He didn't have any, like, lines for him. He's just, like, doing his thing. And, I mean, 
I didn't hate coming to America. Um, I love the first film, so it's a really big hurdle to get over to be, like, even equal to that, because it's Eddie Murphy and John Landis just making pure fucking perfection together. Yeah. Um, but coming to America, for me, was equal. Like, like I, I, I definitely had some laughs in it, but I had just as many cringe moments in it. It's just, like, such a middle ground... But it's even more disappointing when you put forward that this was Eddie Murphy, Murphy and Craig Brewer who the last time they made My Name is Dolomite, which I fucking love that movie. I don't, I, there's just, there's no bigger emphasis I can put at how much I adore Dolomite. Mm-hmm. And this is such a massive step down. This is like, this is for the, for the paycheck almost. But like at the same yeah. time, it's like he's been trying to get this movie made for a long time. And I don't know. I just didn't feel Brewer's charm on this one at all because even Dolomite moves in such a brilliant way. But highlight of both movies is Wesley Snipes because even in Coming to America, Wesley Snipes is having the most fun. Oh yeah, for sure. Like he's he's like Demolition Man, Wesley Snipes <laughs> in this movie. Yeah. So anyways, that's on Amazon Prime. Not a horror movie, but no, uh, <laughs> it's horrific in some points. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, anytime Leslie Jones cracks a joke, it's like, oh gosh, maybe no. <laughs> um, yeah, hush. Uh, the official summary: A deaf writer who retreated into the woods to live a solitary life must fight for her life in silence when a mass killer appears in her window. Um, which I kind of take umbrage to this summary because he wears his mask for like five minutes, and then he's like, "You don't want to see my face." <laughs> yeah, that was that's one of my complaints honestly is like take it off give her a little peek to show that you're serious and then put the fucking scary mask back on because like seeing his dumb face throughout this whole movie was just like this dude looks like some punk i just want to punch him like i'm not really that scared he has a crossbow which is scary that's like the only scary thing about him like i feel like if you put the mask back on okay sorry i'm getting into a rant now because i have some also some things to say about this movie but <laughs> yeah i just I, I that was one of my big points that was like oh it would have been so much cooler if he just like kept this creepy mask on throughout the whole thing but yeah missed well, opportunity it threw me off a bit and i think it's just because of in what order i watched movies when this came out um as i had just seen 10 cloverfield lane before seeing this one Mm-hmm. And um, I looked at John Gallagher Jr. completely differently. Like he was, because he is kind of the nice guy, help helper character in Ten Cloverfield Lane that meets an unfortunate demise. Um, and in this one, like that's all is the complete reverse of that, right? So it's like mm-hmm. it's like I was almost typecasting him already after only seeing him in one movie. And that kind of changed my perception on him in this one. So I thought that was interesting. And it's got a, a you know very quick performance, but it's got a guy from Battlestar Galactica in it. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> so say we all. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, first time we watched this. When was the first time you watched this? Uh, I think I put it on a long time ago when it was on Netflix at one point. But I kind of, I don't think I ended up finishing it because I didn't remember anything about the plot. So I rewatched it for uh, this podcast. Okay. Um, yeah, I remember um, 
a coworker was like, you're really into horror? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, you'll love this movie. And I was like, okay. okay. <laughs> Meaning that you won't love it. No, automatically. Like, I think like he kept hyping it up so much, like it was the greatest horror movies he's ever seen. You know, like this is like when your filthy casual his friend is like, "Yeah, it's the greatest horror movie I've ever seen." I'm like, "Oh, there's like 50 other movies that you should watch." But yeah, um, yeah, and then I watched this, and I was like, "It's it's okay," uh, but yeah, I saw it like shortly after it came out. Like, I think it came out in like March. 2016 and I saw it probably like around like May or so so I didn't see like right when it came out but I saw it, saw it like shortly after what about you Steve were you day one right or day uh no no I can't say I was day one because like I said uh it was after I'd seen Cloverfield uh, uh, which was which was uh, March 20 March 2016, yeah, so it was, like, kind of the second week of March, release-wise. I probably didn't see it for maybe six months after that. And uh, both 10 Cloverfield Lane and Hodge share an actor in John Gallagher Jr. Exactly, yeah, and that's that's why it became uh, immediate to me, to know who that guy was, right? Uh, and, of course, I'd already, I already knew who Mike Flanagan was before that. Um but, uh, I mean, comparing <laughs> for comparing both movies, obviously I love 10 Cloverfield Lane much more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't, I, I, I didn't dislike Hush when I saw it, actually. Uh, I believe at the time my MDB score for it was like an 8. So okay. I, I did like it quite a bit. Okay. Um, cool. Uh, got a couple emails, one from Ben. Uh, he says the scene where she plays out the different scenarios is pretty cool. Yeah, I agree. That scene was pretty cool. Um, I liked that they kind of showed off that her imagination as a writer was helpful to her there. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. This scene itself was really cool, although like I had kind of forgotten about the earlier writing scene when it came to that. But yeah, I, I liked that little that little hook into her. Oh yeah, she's a writer, so this is useful to her. Then that's that, that feels like it, it's just... Flanagan always has, like, a tiny flourish. Sometimes it's bigger than others, but he always has that a little flourish in it that sets itself apart from other... Mm. from other things within the trope. And I think it's generally one of Flanagan's biggest strengths. Is, 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 is his ability to be like, you know what, let's think outside the box of what people are usually thinking, this kind of stuff, and let's do something. Let's try something a little different. Let's try to swerve the audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a tiny bit, and I think that's what he's trying to accomplish in that. Well, one other thing about this movie that was kind of surprising to me is it there's a little bit more realism to it. Like when people get injured, they're affected by their injuries, mm-hmm. like little just little details like that that kind of make it a little more tense. But also, like you're not going, oh yeah, obviously this is going to happen here because you kind of don't really know what's going to end up happening. And I like that. Ultimately, like, this is a movie without a huge amount of kills. I can't even really think of too many, so... It'd just be Michael Truco's character, I think that'd be it. Yeah. Well, and his, his girlfriend at the beginning, too. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's true. So that's that, true. 
too many. So I like that. I in my mind, I was thinking at least on a meta level, like these different scenarios at least like pad out the kill count a little bit. It's like yeah, kind of add a little bit in there for those people who are looking for that in their horror movies. They're looking for that usual trope, right? They're looking yeah. for that. It's a safety net. It's it's comfort. It's a well comfort blanket, really, more than a safety net. Um, but I think that's one of the differences about this movie is it it flips its cards almost immediately into the movie. So then it's basically just a battle of the mind between both of these characters. One of them having such the the disadvantage of not being able to hear a fucking thing. So it's yeah. I, I mean, she's in a handicap match against this guy. Yeah. Basically, um, Lillian says I was pretty disappointed that they tell the deafness of the girl as a major point, but it's never used in interesting ways. I would disagree with that. Yeah, I kind of disagree too. They used the the fire alarm at the end uh, in a way that I thought was interesting, and they play off her other senses, like she can feel his breath when he's in the. Oh, that scene was creepy, but when he's yeah. in the bathtub behind her. Yeah, uh, she yeah. can feel that and like other things. So they do use it um, in ways that are different, I would say. Yeah, and I I think it, again this speaks to Flanagan's um, tactile strengths as a filmmaker because it's all it, maybe it's not obvious, but it's always like a vein within it, and it's stuff that I mean, it, Oculus kind of has the same kind of stuff going for it. Fuck, even uh, the Ouija sequel has stuff. And threads that go through it and are more pronounced in, in, in some parts than others. So the fact that maybe it's not so, f like, focal point, like, up front constantly may turn people off. But I, I just, I, I think that that's part of the reality of the story writing. Yeah, I was going to say, like, the, they, they stick close to reality. I think there's even a couple times in this movie where she reminds herself, okay, if you get caught by him, you're done for. You are not a superhero. You... Mm -hmm will die so yeah. like in that little writing sequence when she's going through so i think maybe the possibility for more interesting things to happen just aren't possible because she is a real character with limitations as opposed to being someone who can like come up with i don't know home alone level styles tracks <laughs> you know <laughs> she does get to that kevin mccallister mindset I for a split second thought when there was that scene where she writes "Do it, coward" on the the door. I for a split second was like, "Oh shit, does she have some trap lined up for him?" Or that would be so great. And then he just comes in. He's like, "Wet bandits, bitch." <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry, sticky bandits, bitch. There you go. Uh, I, Either I could kind of see where Lillian's coming from, but also like to keep in mind, like this movie is like less than eighty minutes long. It's. Mm -hmm. You know, when you have such a short runtime and you have to do so much, like, would there, could there be potentially, like, a two-hour-long version of this film that has more implementation of her deafness? Yeah, sure. Uh, you can say that for any movie, though. Like, give it more runtime yeah. you could. But I, I think for the runtime, they do the best that they can. I do agree that I wish it was a little bit more of a focal point because I think it did feel like in the later half of the film they get so much into like the action and stuff that it becomes almost like a secondary part of the movie. Whereas for the mm -hmm. first part, I did feel like it was a little bit more front and center. So I kind of, I kind of can see where you're coming from, but at the same time too, like, 
I don't think it's like completely abandoned. You mentioned like yeah, a few points at the end where it's still pretty critical. But I I think if they had more of a runtime, they could have definitely padded that out mm-hmm. more and put some more in there. Well, and I think in general too, there are other areas plot wise where this movie feels like it could be more or they could have put something else in. Like I was when I first started watching this, like I was running through all the possibilities. Okay, why is this guy here? What's his motivation? What is he doing? Blah blah blah. Like I thought, oh, like they they kind of set it up in the beginning where she's talking to her friend and they're like, oh, are they flirting? Are they together? Oh no, she has a husband. Okay, so then I started making up conspiracies like, oh, maybe the husband sent this dude here to kill her because he knew that he was like she was like getting in with his wife, but. Yeah. He was just kind of some dude, I guess, who just yeah. likes to kill people, and that was really, like, I really wish that there had been a bit more there, because that, to me, wasn't, like, I guess people like that exist, but in a movie, you're always kind of hoping that there's more of a reason behind what he's doing, right? Because otherwise, yeah. it's just like, okay, kind of what what was the, the point, other than just the viewer being tense and scared the whole time, but plot-wise, like not 100% sure what happened here, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I, for me at least, like, I, this whole premise of, like, random person coming and, like, attacking someone in, in their uh, home, whether it be, like, a vacation home or otherwise, seemed very similar to, like, The Strangers or even Your Next, although with Your Next there's obviously a little bit more to that, but, like, it, it definitely seemed kind of in that wheelhouse of like those other kind of like similar home invasion type films. Uh, I do think the movie gets around that by implementing the fact that, yeah, but she, she fights back, which is very your next, which I kind of enjoy. Like the idea that like, she's not tied to a chair for like majority of the movie. Like she, <laughs> she is a proactive part of the story. Uh, when you get to, like, a lot of these home invasion thrillers, it does kind of get into that repetitive, like, oh, no, the person's tied to the chair. Hopefully they can figure their way out. But this this got around that, which was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe maybe I just wasn't as scared by the guy and that affected, too. Like, I, I just felt like I just wanted, yeah, I just wanted to go out and punch him with something. And that, <laughs> that might have that done it, you know? Like... Who knows? He wasn't really like a menacing force, you know? He was just some dude. He did really just seem like a real big asshole and not so much like a terrifying menace. Kind of, yeah. (laughs) um, Although, obviously, in that situation in real life, you would be fucking terrified, but... Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, the the whole... I mean, this this entire thing... um, Come it, like it, it was conceived as almost just dinner conversation between a husband and wife that all of a sudden they're like, okay, well, we're going to actually write and make this movie and everything. So it all came from just banter, yeah. really. So it's interesting to, to know that, uh, you know, it, it, it's all come from a hypothetical place. So any kind of like thing that you, that you can pull off of it. It's probably just something they're just like, nah, well, it's not super important to us mm-hmm. for the purpose of this story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just Mike Flanagan and, and, and Kate Siegel just riffing. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's uh, move on to the uh, awards. That's what we always do. Uh, 
best line in this movie and cue the joke that everyone's going to have of it's she's Dev Hauser's best line. But there's 15 minutes of dialogue in this movie. <laughs> it's not a lot. No. No. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. What do you guys have? Uh, I put down when she wrote on the door, do it, coward, even though it wasn't a spoken line. I, I could still, like, almost hear it in my head. Yeah, I'll count it, yeah. I mean, for her, it's dialogue, right? So. I mean, yeah, true. How about uh, John Gallagher Jr.'s line of, you fucking cunt? Oh, yeah. I there mean, whenever anyone uses that word, it, it instantly makes me hate them. No matter who uses it or what the context is, I, I hear that word. I'm like, oh, you're just a fucking asshole. I don't like you. So when he said that, I was like, I mean, it, it's a quick and easy way to make you not like his character and not like you needed mm-hmm. any more reasons. But no. I, I did like that in that I think a lot of movies are really afraid to use that word, but I think in some contexts it can be an effective way to sort of be like, oh, yeah, I don't like this person. <laughs> yeah. His character yeah. definitely seemed like the kind that we use that word like that, so. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's on Reddit. He's probably thrown around like <laughs> Like, you know, probably eventually would be a Trump supporter, you know. Nah. <laughs> um, yeah, Taylor, do you have, oh, actually, you mentioned the, the rain down there, yeah. But, uh, no, there, there's, there's not a lot of dialogue in this movie, similar to our other movie this week, uh, Quiet Place. There's not a lot of dialogue, which can be good, uh, but of course when you're doing the best quotes, uh, or best line, yeah. it, it, it's a little tough. Uh, best performance in this. Kate Siegel. Yeah, I agree. I mean, she's not she's not deaf, but I could have fully believed that she was deaf. That she was a deaf actress mm-hmm. or had experience uh, in that field. Um, yeah, uh, and and I mean, the whole movie hinges on her. Right. Um, but, I mean, it all comes back to the ballsiness of Mike Flanagan, for, well, and her as well, because she co-wrote the movie as well, uh, for just, you know what, this, we're just going to show the whole reveal right now, and this is just a cat and mouse game, but you don't know who's who until the very end, right? So. I'm going to say, I like John Gallagher Jr. a bit more. I think it's just because, like, he, he plays off her being um deaf so well and he also does a pretty good job of like i guess just like being a constant presence throughout the movie um i just uh, probably too i mean admittedly he probably had a little more to work with than she did but i don't know i was i was really digging this performance in this rewatch at least yeah i have to agree with steve about kate Kate Seagull, is that her name? Um, I instantly forgot it. Um, she, uh, yeah, I liked, I also agree with Kurt that they played off each other, like, well, like, the way that he was playing off of her deafness, but they went back and forth, like, they went back and forth so often with, like, okay, now she is the upper hand, now he is the upper hand, um, now yeah. he's watching her, and now she's watching him, you know, like, yeah. it was, uh, it was kind of cool, and yeah, I, I like that. I, I mean, even like I, I know that it's a bone of contention for for a lot of people. Um, but even when he takes off the mask, the moment that he does it, 
it's really it, it's a really good tension piece because she's basically she writes on the like I I'm not gonna tell anybody I didn't see your face so it's all good I won't tell anybody and then he's like well how about I just show you my face and then you kind of really feel the gravity of the situation then because mm-hmm. yeah. you know it's not it's not for an end it's not to make money it's not to you know what I mean it's not a robbery or any shit like that it's like no 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 I'm just I'm here to literally kill you and I don't I don't, you know, mm-hmm. there's no rules. Yeah. Uh, cool. Uh, best kill. Uh, I liked the knife to the neck. That that I was not expecting, and when it came out of nowhere, I was like, oh yeah, that seems right. <laughs> Although I guess technically, oh, that is what kills him, because he bleeds out, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I just I mean, there's not a whole lot of kills in this, so no. you're really, no. uh, you know, choosing from a small handful. But yeah, the knife to the neck felt felt, felt good. Um, what about you, Steve? You yeah, the knife to the neck as well, because um, it feels like payoff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, and so, I mean, to bleed out and stuff like that also feels like a catharsis payoff as well. Yeah. Um, because, uh, I mean, at the heart of it, it's, it's a total final girl movie. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, and it's, it, it's also built on an empowerment as well, an empowerment in the face of absolute death. And I think that it, that just that slow trickle kind of works. I don't know. Atmospherically it works. I'm assuming that's one of my other weird things about the movie that I didn't necessarily like was right at the end when it's just on her face and she smiles. And I'm like, okay, I understand this woman is broken probably at this point. But that smile just seems almost a little creepy to me because it's like you just witnessed your two neighbors get murdered in front of you and you're slightly happy because I guess now she's free of him and everything like that. Mm -hmm. But the smile just seemed a little... I'm all place for me. Yeah, no, I agree. It, it just sort of felt like it came out of nowhere, really. Yeah. Yeah, well, because they don't establish the sociopathic side of it, either, either that or, or Flanagan and, and uh, Siegel are saying that uh, uh, you kill, you're tainted. Your your soul, your, 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 your mind's direction is tainted because you have taken a life so you can, I don't know, like maybe... maybe and in the sequel, she... In the sequel, she picks up his crossbow and she carries on with his tick marks. Exactly, except that her, <laughs> except all of her victims are of able ears, and she's the deaf killer. Oh, I was gonna say all her victims are blind. Oh, there we go. <laughs> yeah, instead of hush, she's called. Who's there? Who's that? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, yeah, dumbest decision in this movie. Uh, the first down was people with very prominent neck tattoos should not commit crimes. Yeah, that's that's a. I I, I definitely thought of his neck tattoo the first time I saw it. It only has a very distinguishing mark. Yeah. yeah. Um. Also, something else that I've totally forgotten about until now. Where the fuck was Craig? That guy that she calls that calls her back a bunch of times. 
I totally thought he was going to show up at some point. I definitely thought the dude that was knocking on her door at first was Craig and not her neighbor, John. Because, yeah. Craig, dude, where are you? She, she calls you and then hangs up and you don't go think to come and check on her? Come on, man. <laughs> well, yeah, it's not like he called the cops. What did he? No, he didn't call the cops, right? No, I don't think so. Yeah. I would um, imagine he's probably like, I'll wait for her to send me nudes or something. like Some, <laughs> some, some stupid bullshit like that. Um, yeah. Uh, I think it's time to give us a score. What would you do? Uh, why did you go first? What would you give us a score of? I'm just depreciate my original score on it just by a half so it's a 7.5 um uh there's a lot i like about this movie um and um a lot of this movie is setting up uh mike flanagan to become the fucking master he is today because i think he is one of the most compelling uh filmmakers in the genre right now um Yeah, I I obviously you can really feel the writing exercise within this movie, Um, but largely it still works for me. Um, What about you, Chad? What would you give us a score of? Um, I'm scared because I kind of want to give it closer to like maybe a six, but it's not really that bad. um, Maybe I'll go with a seven. Um, because it's really not that bad a movie. There's just some things with the characters and the plot that don't quite grab me. Mm. So if I'm watching this movie and doing other things, like, I can't do that because I'll probably just end up getting distracted from the movie, you know? Um, because it just doesn't quite pull me in with the characters as much as, um, some other things do. So I think I'm going to go with a seven. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm giving this a six out of ten. I'm I'm brave enough to go there. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I think the biggest thing for me about this movie, and I haven't really touched on it that much, is that, like, I feel like the cat and mouse game between the two of them gets old fast. So Mm. by the time I'm, like, halfway through the movie, I'm already kind of bored of it. (laughs) So, I mean, the funny thing is the movie's only, like, 80 minutes long or less than 80 minutes long and it's like halfway through I was like I'm kind of bored of this already so, I don't know I, I, Mike Flanagan's great though and like a lot of the stuff that he's done um, what was that Shining sequel he made Doctor Sleep I wanted to call it The Overlook for some reason um, yeah that was great and Haunting series Say What You Will about season 2 I didn't like season 2 but like that's great. Like he does a lot of great stuff. Um, I just wasn't as big of a fan of this as I probably could have been. So, uh, Steve, where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at the Steel Dead. I think I'm under the same on Letterboxd. Uh, my website's stevestepping.ca, and uh, you can check me out every week on uh, the shift with Shane Hewitt. Uh, Thursdays at 11 p.m. Pacific time at basically any chorus radio station across Canada. Uh, yeah, that's about it. Nice. Taylor, where can people find you? Um, mostly on my blog, circeanic.home.blog, or on social media. My username is circeanic. Nice. And I'm over at threegreeners.com. We do currently have up a movie commentary for Uncle Peckerhead, which we had the director and some of the stars on for. 
Uh, I think it's one of the funnest bits of content I've ever made. Very proud of it. Um, Dave Littleton, who plays Uncle Peckerhead, uh, jokingly calls everyone a bitch throughout the movie, and it's a joke that never got old. Uh, um, Jeff Riddle, who plays um, Max in the movie, described a, a scene where he uh, does a he does like a, a dance for his girlfriend, like a sexy dance that he put into the movie. Uh, so, you know, fun little, I'm sure we like just filled up IMDB's trivia page after doing that, <laughs> the stuff that people share. So, uh, a lot of fun. Go check that out. And, then uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. I'm over on Twitter, Film Critic Kurt. I'm on Letterboxd, Fatal Koala. Come on, Letterboxd, let me change it to Film Critic Kurt. I don't, you know, we need some brand synergy here. Um, <laughs> But I, I don't want to get rid of it, too, because I have a very popular Dunkirk review that will long surpass me in life. <laughs> 469 likes. It's hard to get rid of that. It's, uh, yeah. Uh, until next time, we're going to talk about A Quiet Place. Bye for now.